Hey, I'm Laura Carbone, and you're listening to Talking Blues, and I'm talking to Mako. So when I last saw you, we were in Kitchener. Yeah. At the Kitchener Blues Festival. It was a fantastic blues festival. It was so great to be back in Canada again. I, if I'm not mistaken, you were invited there, were you not? Yeah, Robert um, asked me, the, the festival director, asked me to come and shoot it. And actually, there'll be an article about it in, in I believe, two magazines coming up. There's in Big City Blues as well as in Blues Matters in Europe. Wow. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, it's a great fest. It was a great festival. So um, I write for some magazines, and they're, they're always interested in what's happening, what's going on uh, as things open up. So uh, um, I got I, I write and do photographs for magazines. I'm sort of blessed. And I said, listen, I've been to a great festival. Do you want an article? And they said, sure. Okay. So it's it should be coming out in the next week or two in Big City Blues, uh, a story and photos, as well as in Blues Matters, which is more of a photo spread. Wow. Okay. And I get a photo spread, I think, on a, every every issue in Blues Matters of various festivals or music. So, I so pick, pick. do a lot of festivals ask you? I photograph a lot of festivals and I come back and I, and I come back on a yearly basis and I get photo pass. So it's a question of me asking them and them asking me. Uh, okay. To be part of the photo pit is sort of a lucky thing to, to be included in the photo pit to shoot photos. And the festivals are always very appreciative. If you can then pay them back or give back a, an article or some information out there about the festival, which I try to do. So... So not only do I get great photos and get invited to festivals, I also try to give back and have articles in various blues magazines about the festival. Okay, so which came first, your love of medicine or your love of photography? Uh, probably the, it's all simultaneous. I actually photographed my my medical school yearbook so I guess that's both. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, uh, and I went to I went to my residency in Chicago, so that's where I learned how to really love the blues. So I did my medical internship, internal medicine, in in uh, Northwestern in Chicago, and I would go to we were on call every third night, and so one night I would be up all night. The second night I would sleep, and the third night I would go to blues clubs in Chicago. And I had no clue who I saw. It was just I would just sit there in awe. And <laughs> so I, sort of, I always sort of carried that with me. So I think medicine and my love of the blues sort of goes together because that's where I learned to love the blues during my stint in Chicago during the '80s, which was Chicago was very. You know, there's a lot of great players at that time running around. Okay, so how did you get into medicine? So obviously you didn't get into the, you didn't go to Chicago because of the blues, as I've heard some other people I've interviewed go to university because they wanted to see the blues. That wasn't the no, case. I went, that wasn't the case. No, I went to Chicago for the for the medical school and that, I found the blues there. Um, 
So the question is, how did I get into medicine? Yeah. So how, what uh, made you decide to get into nephrology? Or was that a choice that you made earlier? Or is that something that came about later on? It was a choice, I guess, when you, when you, in, during, during your uh, residency, uh, internship, you rotate through various specialties. And I remember my professor that taught nephrology was Dr. Krumlowski. And he had polio. And he was really such a wonderful teacher. He was full of compassion and love. And the thing about nephrology that I loved is we take care of the sickest patients because they have not only kidney failure, they also have heart problems and vascular disease. And so it's a chance to do a subspecialty, but to take care of the whole patient that's really ill. And you get to know the patient because you sort of follow them if they're on dialysis. You follow them through their whole course. And you tend to, and being a nephrologist, everything is sort of different. That your care for the patient is yours. You sort of take care of almost everything in their aspect because they're, them having kidney failure is so specialized. Other other doctors say, okay, you, you handle that, you're the nephrologist. So I take care of their heart problems or vascular problems, cardiac, and um, and get to know them. I see them several times a week in dialysis. So I sort of liked that connection with the, the patients. I like the field of nephrology and I sort of picked it as a subspecialty and I went on to Columbia and I did my fellowship in Columbia, New York, and pretty much have been practicing as a subspecialist uh, since, you know, since I graduated. So in private practice. And, and what's the greatest joy that you get out of being a doctor? I would have to say it's the people. It's the people, you know, medicine is really people orientated. It's, it's getting to know the patient and helping them through problems, helping them, helping them figure out and how to get through and how to live. Um, so I would say it's the human interaction that happens in medicine that's really unique um, that you probably don't get. You get it, it's a whole nother level than other types of interaction with people because it's, you're dealing with health. And, and, and I see my patients on a regular basis, so you get to know them very well. Um, I mean, that's, I do love medicine, so that's, that. And I do love my patients, so. Okay, so when did you first pick up a camera? Probably, I think I always had a camera pretty much most of my life. I re did a little bit of darkroom work when I was in medical school, you know, nothing really that complex. I worked on the, on the yearbook. Uh, I always, I think I've always had a camera. Okay, sort of, sort of like a friend, in a way. If I was to ask you, do you remember the first time you took a picture that you thought was really special? Would you be able to share that with me? Well, I think 
the picture that really got me noted and really sort of changed my life was uh, was at the I believe it was the Philadelphia Folk Fest, and I was lucky to be in the photo pit. I mean, I was doing photos, but none of them were that great. And I was in the photo photo pit, and Trombone Shorty was there, and he came out on stage and sort of walked up on stage and put his put his arms out with a trombone and a trumpet one on each side and let out a huge scream. And I sort of caught that sort of his pose with just the instruments outstretched and his, you can almost hear him screaming. Okay. And I took the photo. I had, the, I had a super wide lens on and right up in the front. And I think I screamed at the same time. I think he screamed, I screamed and he screamed simultaneously. I and mean, he may have been screaming because I was screaming. I don't know, but <laughs> caught it and then the woman sitting next to me was uh from elmore magazine suzanne kajin i looked at the photo i said wow this is this is great and i sort of just showed it to her and she says i want that photo and and then she asked permission to use it and it was the i think it was on their title page of you know their table of contents is right below it like on page two and that sort of led to Mike Kappas um, from uh, Trombone Shorty's, uh, I think at the Rosebud Agency, who handled Mavis Staples and Trombone Shorty and, you know, John Lee Hooker and all these great blues people contacted me because I had other photos of the, you know, he said he put them on Facebook and he goes, I really like your photos. He goes, and back before trombone was really big that he asked her, can I use them on their, on their webpage? So his first webpage was mostly my photos before he became super big, you know? <laughs> and, um, and he said, whenever you want to shoot, you just let me know and I'll make sure that you get access. And it's sort of, sort of, and he's, he would come, he would every once in a while would ask me to use my photos. Like they used, one of my trombone shorty photos for the um, for the New Orleans Jazz Fest, the post office comes out with a, a yearly envelope or stamp, okay? And it's usually one artist and it's a limited edition and they sell it at the, so it's a, so I buy, so he has to use one of my trombone shorty photos for that, which became a, you know, collector's item stamp. And it just sort of just, snowballed from there you know now is this the same picture that's on your website uh i i ha i haven't really looked at my website for quite a while actually <laughs> i don't but i think it is i think it is okay yeah. but the one the one on the stamp is a little bit different it's a different it's a different shot it's a headshot of him what what an amazing honor that is to to have a stamp yeah. with your photograph on it that's crazy and it was sort of crazy because it sort of came, I got this call from him. I was just in a terrible snowmobile accident and I was in the hospital. It was like the day after. And they, I literally was like in the ICU booked up and barely announced I got this call. Hello, this is Mike Campus. He goes, we want to know if we have permission to use your photo. And I was like, I have reason to live. <laughs> so um, that, that really improved my spirits, but. Yeah, and then he was really nice. He he went trombone shorty went to the five twenty five agency, um, and and he closed Rosebud. He wrote 
an email and and sort of introduced me to the to the agency and he says you know make this is Laura Carbone she you know she's a great photographer please you know let let her continue to follow and shoot these artists and which is really nice and I and then 525 used some I think Mavis Staples used some of my photos for her video she did a video Mavis and so she used some of mine. So and it's been really lucky. So it all happened that one day when I was in the photo pits going, wow, what a great picture. And a magazine just happened to be sitting next to me and saying, can they use it? And since then, I now do photographs for for lots of magazines. I'm really lucky. I'm pretty much in, in uh, and, and the blues people are just really wonderful. It's a small world, but I'm, I'm in... Uh, Blues Matters on a on a on, on in every issue, and I'm also in Blues Music Magazine, and gotten a couple of covers. I got the Kingfish, Kenny Neal, Vanessa Collier, you know, a bunch of covers for them, along with inside articles. So, and I've been friends with Robert Jr. and all that with Big C Blues, and and actually they're looking into doing a a Canada issue, an issue. And I'll be involved in that, an all Canadian issue, because they have different themes for ma- their magazines. So, hopefully, within the next year, we'll be working on an all Canada issue that will get distributed for Big City Rhythm and Blues. So, of all Canadian artists. So, so you said you're lucky, but I, I I'm thinking you're like you're one of the most more respected photographers, and I, I think it's probably the the artist who is lucky to get you to shoot them. I mean, I think it's the artist. I say I am just really lucky that I, I press my finger the moment that the artist is just, you know, glowing and really lucky to capture that. OK, I, I agree. Um, however, I mean, you do have the eye. You have the ability to capture people. I mean, there's a Johnny Winter photograph that you, you took that he's on stage and he's looking out and it's. Probably one of the best Johnny Winter photographs I've ever his seen. Are, and there's many like eyes that. eyes are open for that one. It's like. Exactly. I again, I think I scared him. <laughs> I, just, I just remember at the very end of the night, I saw that I wanted him to photograph an album. And of course, he can't see. And he, he's like, he has his bus and his door open. He's letting, he's doing that. All of a sudden, right before, of course, he can't see. He sort of had enough and the bus door closed right in my face. But but that, that was Johnny. You know, that's the way he was. <laughs> okay. I was actually asking about maybe way before then as you were growing up with your camera if there was a picture that that you took that made you think well this is this is a hobby worth pursuing oh boy um i don't know i think i always liked photographing people so i think the yearbook had a lot you know photographing my medical school yearbook had a lot to do it do with it you know um i've always liked photographing people and I always, I mean, there's a couple photos I took when I was younger that I really like. One was in Chicago with this blues guys, blues guys sitting on the set steps of the uh, library, Chicago library. And then behind him, there's a girl holding a doll with only, with only one shoe on. She was like a shoeless, but one shoe holding this doll. And it's just sort of capturing little things like that sort of intrigues me, but it tells a story. Yeah. And do you know when you take that picture? Like, when, do you know the moment you take it that you've captured something? Or do you have to go back and 
review everything I think, I think until when you, you take a really good picture you, you know i think you just know it's like yeah i got it <laughs> you know when when you started going to university and in chicago and this is you don't you don't know anything about the blues you start going to, to blues clubs and that's how you got into the blues yeah i i started in chicago i sort of would like listen sit there exhausted after being up for you know, 70 hours straight and just being amazed at the music that was happening in the small clubs in Chicago. You know, blues, Halston Mines. I, every once in a while, I would go down to the south side of Chicago, been to the checkerboard a couple of times and that was still going. And it, it was just, it was mind blowing. I mean, anybody would have been floored by what was going on then. Um, and I think... I mean, then I sort of reconnected. I sort of carried it around with me after after that. You know, um, I knew Magic Slim a little bit, you know, from my connections in Chicago. And every time he would come around, I would go see him and all that. And uh, sort of reconnected. You know, I got I had a, a bad marriage and a and, and a tough divorce, and then. Um, didn't feel safe to go out anywhere until I decided after like two years, I'm going to go out to a blues. I never went to blues festivals until probably 10 years ago. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to venture out. And when I was at the, at the festival, there was uh, one of the, and I had my camera there. And then one of the photographers that was a professional photographer came up to me and, and asked me, you know, you, you really like doing this. Do you want to take some lessons? Because I also teach. So I spent a weekend with him after, you know, just following around as I was sort of crying because I was, my marriage had failed and I was terrible. But, and he would try to show me how to do F-stops and try to show me how to shoot manually. And some of it sunk, sunk in, Okay. <laughs> Well, sort of learn the learn the tricks versus the auto shooting, and I think people come into my came into my life. It was just sort of lucky. This this other photographer sort of said, "Hey, do you want to learn?" And I think, and I spent a weekend, and he somehow got information into my mind of how to shoot. Then I just sort of played around with it and just. So it was like, was it really ten years ago? Is that it? Maybe 12 years ago, I think it may be, it's, it may have been, I think it was like 12 years ago, yeah, where I started shooting, yeah. Can I ask who the photographer was? It was uh, David Shimcock, he's from, he's based in uh, Asheville now. Okay. He was in Pennsylvania, and he's really good, he's fantastic. And then Joe Rosen, you know, other photographers sort of helped, you know, Joe, I met Joe, during my travels and Joe Rosen would, would sort of teach, you know, take me under the thing as, you know, you should do this, you should do that. And uh, so there's been a lot of teachers in my life, I would say. You had, you had to sort of be open when people sort of open up. Okay, so, I mean, how different is it to take picture of somebody on stage and capture moments like the trombone shorty or the Johnny Winter moments compared to like the portraits that you you were doing of classmates like it's got to be quite a different thing no 
Oh, it's so much. It's so fun to shoot on stage because it's like, it's like shooting rabbits. The faster that they move, the more fun it is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and, and, and then, um, I love stage shooting. I mean, you have to sort of, uh, play with your lighting and you never do auto. You always got to sort of say what type of, you sort of got to set it for the speed of the lights and how fast the player is moving around. And then always look at your background, pay attention to your background. And then you almost have to anticipate what's going to happen next because you always got to press your finger the second before it happens to catch it, the millisecond. And it's, uh, shooting live is just so much fun because part of it is the rapid action type of thinking on your feet and trying to figure out like what's the best way to frame the shot, what's the best lens to do, what's how do, how do you get the lighting? You know, it's almost like uh, working with like a Rembrandt with light. How do you get the light, the right light on his face, the right light to highlight what he's doing? And it's, it's a lot of fun. I love shooting live. I'm more of a live shooter than I am a pose shooter, you know. But I try to do pose shoots, but I get screwed. <laughs> well, it's, it's a different thing. It's a diff- different animal, right? Like to capture somebody performing versus somebody posing. Right. right. And, but again, I have to give a lot of credit to the artist because, you know, a bad artist you know, someone on stage that just doesn't glow. And I mean, it's almost like a really good musician transcends. You can see their, their eyes roll back and they're just sort of, they sort of become almost on the same wavelength of the, of the music. And you as a photographer almost have to be on that wavelength too, where it's, it's to capture it. So a lot of credit really goes to the artist and what they're feeling when they're playing the music. And my job is just to push the button at the right time and make sure the light settings are right and all that. Okay, so if you started seriously taking blues music photography 12 years ago, at what point did you feel like you were good? I'm still not good, no. (laughs) I really am not. Which is probably what makes you even better because you're struggling, because you take some amazing photographs. I, yeah, I take some good I take some good photos, um, but there's also amazing people that you always have to learn. I mean, some you know, there's there's photographers out there, especially if you go back in time and look at the old jazz photographers like Herman Leonard, and you look at um, some of the photographs of, uh, of uh, who's the guy from Memphis that did all the civil rights photos. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at their photos, they're just amazing photos with real cameras and not digital. They only had like, you know, 36 photos on a, you know, on a roll to get what they had to get. Um, I learn a lot from them and, I, and I'm still learning. And I think as photography now goes even further with art, of, you know, there's now these AI things where you can sort of really change and 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 almost distort your photo you know it's going to change even more but um i want to spend more time learning photography i'm 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 going to be sort of semi-retiring from medicine still doing some medicine 
but not quite as much and, and, and doing a little bit more photography. And, and would it be different kind of photography or just more live bands? I love, I love music photography. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, you know, landscapes, I mean, they don't move. I mean, and landscape photography is really hard because you, you really have to make sure the light is right. You sit there, wait for the fog to come in and, and the colors versus like live music photography is just give me the, give me the spotlights and give me someone good. And then it's, it's fun, but um, yeah, maybe I'll look into other types of photography. Well, that's kind of exciting that you're thinking about taking less time in your practice and working more on your art. Right. And, and, and I also do production too. I also produce shows. So, well, I want to ask you about that. So tell me about is, how did that come about and why did that come about? Um, I have to give, um, how did that come about? I have to give a lot of credit to a lot of other people as, as always. Um, I've been really lucky. I now am, I run a non profit called Plattsburgh Blues and Jazz. And we have amazing artists come, come to my little tiny town in upstate New York. I had, I had Eric Gales three times, Kenny Neal twice, Curtis Salgado, you know, and I bring a lot of Canadian artists in. I have, you know, Dawn Tyler Watson. She's downstairs right now cooking me dinner. <laughs> but but she's she comes and she comes and her band is probably one of the most beloved bands that come to my town. And Paul, I think I was one of the first people to bring Paul Delorier band here. Angel Forrest was just here a couple of weeks ago. So um, Steve Mariner and Monkey Junk has come several times. So, and those are the Canadian things. But anyway, I've been really lucky also with my music production to bring music to my town from anywhere from like small backyard things to 800 seat theater events. And then how did that all start? I would say I have to give credit to an old boyfriend that I dated for a while that was in, 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 he did production. He, Michael Corrin um, was with Pennsylvania Blues Fest and with the Philadelphia Folk Fest. And he was, he was just amazing on, and, and, and his taste and his production was beyond compare. And he knew what artists to pick. And he taught me also these, you know, what to look for in an artist and also helped give me access to the, some of the photos things. So I had to really give a lot of credit to Michael. And, and, and I think it sort of started off where like Michael, I would meet people with Michael and artists or Michael would say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, my girlfriend lives up there. Why don't you stop by? She can probably do a house concert for you. So it sort of started with some house concerts. Um, I got this, I sort of lucked into this incredible big house with lots of bedrooms and a big living room. And I lucked into various equipment. I have a B3 organ. I have, you know, drums <laughs> whole kibit and caboodle but in my in my and and then people would come by and and i would have these house parties which became famous and then the the mayor of my town came to one of my house parties and said hey why don't you bring this to the town and have it have it have it and and, and we can do a non-for-profit so we he helped me sort of 
make plaster blues and jazz and I, you know, filed for a 501c3 and I got the approval. So now it's, we have a board and we have a non, a non-for-profit and which we use to help, you know, bring culture to my little town wow. and we have amazing bands come through. Okay. So what have you learned about music getting uh, through your photography? What have I learned about music through my photography? I think it makes you listen more in a way because when you're doing, when you're shooting photography, you're really almost in the same wavelength as a musician and you're listening really hard. So I would say that, I would say that um, my photography has helped me listen and to appreciate music well and also realize like what, bands sort of kick it off and are really doing it it's been helpful i mean but it, it sort of all comes in and, and, and my photography i get to you know people you know bands will know me through my photography and i say hey i do production too and then they come in and so it's all very good and they come they come to my town and i and i shoot photos of them and then so it's it's a win-win <laughs> yeah I, I do want to ask about the Canadian connection. So you mentioned the Canadian connection. Um, you, you're talking about doing a, a feature in Canadian bands. I don't know if it's the proximity of Plattsburgh to Canada, which is like an hour away, is it not? Yeah, we're like, as I call Plattsburgh, we're your poor, poor cousin. Yes. <laughs> Plattsburgh is literally 20 minutes from the Canadian border. Okay. I, so can get to, I can get to Montreal an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. So is that the connection with you and Canadian musicians? Is that like, how does, how did that get established? Actually, it was sort of a, a funny story. Um, again, when I was with Michael, Michael said when he would come up and visit me, Michael Horn, he would say, you know, I have this, I have this, I have this friend, Brian Slack, who's talking about this artist, Don Tyler Watson. And, and he goes, next time I come up to Plattsburgh, let's go, let's go and see her play. So we did that and we, we, we went up and we saw back then she was with Paul and we, we saw Don and Paul play and they were amazing. They were just, I mean, Canada has a level of musicianship that's higher than the U S in terms of what the musicians can do and, you know, vocally and other things. It's, it's just, I've just always been amazed Anyway, so Michael says, well, I'm going to have him come to my festival. So they he arranged for them to come in. So they flew into his festival, but their flight was delayed. And there was all these airport and, and ended up, they ended up barely making it. And they were the first act, the noon act. They arrived like at, at 930 in the morning. Paul's guitars were lost, gone. Don had no clothes. So... I went and I, I gave Dawn my suitcase for my club for her clothes and I and I put Paul in my car and we drove to the nearest guitar store which sold kids guitars for music classes. And so the most expensive guitar was I think it was a hundred dollar guitar named after some girl, like a Leslie <laughs> or something, I don't know, Shelly Leslie or something. So we bought the guitar and we ran back to the festival, they got on stage. And uh, since then, I became good friends with 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 them, and 
and also with Brian Slack. And Canada's been really nice to me. Um, you know, when I when I go up, I go up to the festivals. I get photo access, and 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 I think the and it's the closest place. I mean, I'm not close to Chicago or New York City or anything. So to have to have Montreal an hour away and see the Montreal Jazz Fest and Montremblant and all those things, it's. It's easy for me. And I do. And I think Canada gets the blues. They do. You know, they just get it, you know. Do you have goals at this point? I mean, I know that semi-retirement and focusing more on photography is one. But do you have goals as a blues photographer? Uh, as a, as a, if, I mean, everybody has a goal to have their photos even go higher and higher. And to have archivical photos, I mean, photos that are iconic, you know, uh, and I'm still, I'm still shooting. So I'm still, I mean, I would love to shoot iconic photos of incredible people. Um, well, I think you've I done some of that. I have, yes. It's still more. <laughs> yeah, I would, I mean, I would love, I would love to travel. I would love to spend more time in Europe, Europe and France, things like that. France also is a deep appreciation of the blues. I've been to Cahors. I've been to various festivals in France, Denmark and Norway, and even to the, the up in Svelgard where they had the, nor the, the, the farthest North festival in the world, the dark season blues festival. So I would like to explore music throughout the world and shoot it, but. I think the whole the whole the whole goal is to get the more iconic photos and to keep shooting. Okay, would you would you ever consider doing a book? Uh, I still have a lot more. I have a lot more photos to take before I even approach that. Okay, <laughs> I have a lot of kudos to say for my other photographers, like Joe Rosen. I look at his photos and they're just amazing. Mm -hmm. Who he's shot throughout the years. I mean, you know that. I'm not at that level, you know, but one day, hopefully give me another 10 or 15 years of shooting, maybe. Okay. So you told me a story when we, when we last saw each other about somebody approaching you because of your photography and asking you to maybe document a film. Can you talk about yeah, that? A little bit. I think so. Um, uh, I am, uh, Facebook friends that I think I met briefly for a second, uh, a, a director screenwriter by the name of uh, John Fusco, who's directed several movies. He's directed uh, Crossroads, Young Guns. Uh, he did the Marco Polo thing. He did, uh, oh, he's done lots of movies, including some movies that have won Grammys. And they usually have musical themes or very strong music in the movies. And, um, so anyway, I, it was it was right around Fat Tuesday, and I just threw up some pictures on Facebook just on a whim. It was like some of my Mardi Gras, one of my shots of when I was in New Orleans, um, just basic background shots of musicians and and the scene of, of, of New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And he messaged me and he said, "Are those your New Orleans shots? They're fantastic." He goes. You know, I'm, I'm doing a movie, I'm shooting a movie in New Orleans with John Legend. He goes, I would love to have you on set. 
And so we've talked back and forth in the movie, the upcoming movie, it's still, it's not yet in production yet, but hopefully soon the next year, it's going to be a remake of Phantom of the Opera set in modern day New Orleans. Uh, and John Legend and John Fusco are producing and writing the movie. So it's going to be, and it's Universal Studios. It's going to be very cool. Okay. Wow. I know. And they, they, they want me to be the set photographer. They sent my photos to John Legend. He supposedly said, thumbs up. So fingers crossed that it's still going to happen. Um, but it's going to be a great movie regardless. I have a lot of respect for, for what John Fusco does. And, uh, and it's sort of just wild to have a remake of Phantom of the Opera in modern day New Orleans. And it's supposed to be like modern day musicians, not just the old story, but sort of making it new. So I'm looking forward to that. He, he has another movie that he's just released, uh, just released called The Wind and the Reckoning about Hawaiian leopard colonies. So he's now involved in that, that movie release. And I think John Legend's having a baby. So <laughs> whatever his wife is. So I'm not quite sure when the, I think the production will be hopefully starting sometime in 2023. And I hope to be down in New Orleans and documenting it all. So I can't so wait. Have you ever done anything <laughs> so, like that? Like that just sounds like a really cool project, but I, I don't know, you know, is it like you wander around and you can shoot whatever you want or how does that work? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to find out. I don't know. I imagine that you sort of do a lot of the background shots, documenting stuff. And then hopefully at night I'll be in the New Orleans club shooting, shooting music in New Orleans for, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's part of my retirement like dream. So I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful it's supposed to happen. I'm actually going to be seeing John Fusco. He's doing a opening for the, I think one of his movie openings is in Stowe. Uh, so I'll be seeing him next weekend. Wow. He's doing the Indigenous Festival in Stowe also. He's involved in it. We have Joe Lewis Walker, Dave Keller, and and he's going to be involved in that. So an Indigenous People's Day. Every time I see your photographs, it just amazes me how good you are. And and lucky or not, I think it's quite a, you're quite a talent the way you capture things. So um, I've always enjoyed looking at your photographs and, and thank you for what you do. Well, thank you, Mako. I mean, you're a phenomenal videographer. I mean, your videos are iconic. Well, no, they're not. <laughs> they are, they are. And, and you also capture people and you capture the, you also know how to capture the music. And that's part of the magic is capturing the music. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a yeah. fun thing. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But um, yeah, so thank you so much for taking this time. I was, you know, I, I've run across you a number of times in festivals, but we've never really chatted. So I appreciate you telling me a little bit about yourself. Not, well, thank you. It's not that. It's just, I mean, everybody has a story, I guess. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but you, you capture that. I've been, very, I've been very lucky, so. Well, thank, thank God for that. And if anybody wants to check out your photographs, they can go to your website, correct? My, they can, but I have not even touched my website I, for like five years. Okay. I put some photos. Someone, someone tells me, you want you should have a website. They go, okay. They go, well, put some photos on it. Put it in a folder, and I sent them some photos. And 
I think in my retirement, I think I have to work on the website. So Well, if but, not the website, then they should befriend you on Facebook and check out your photos on Facebook. I mean, Facebook, I sort of do the, I, I sort of have ongoing albums happening when I'm seeing and also in magazines. So look for me in various uh, music magazines because that's the way that we get the word out. So I'm lucky in that aspect too. Okay. Thank you, Laura, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Marco. Okay. Yes. Have a great evening. Okay. Yes, you too. (laughs) 